Good morning. I don't know what you expected earlier in the week that your Sunday would be like, but I've learned not to answer the telephone when my district superintendent calls. <laughs> I should have known better, but there it was. Dr. McCain wants to talk to you. And I also learned that don't turn in your bio until you read the other guy's bio. <laughs> uh, he's a doctor, and uh, he's a wonderful man, and you guys are going to love him, and he's going to do a great job. And I was going to say, I was going to be really witty, and I was going to say, turn on your phones to John chapter 17. But as it turns out, if you do, you're using your own data, just so you know. So hopefully you've got a Bible somewhere handy, or maybe you can read off of somebody who doesn't know how to use their phone, and they've got a Bible with them, but we're going to be in John chapter 17. Chapter 16 ends with a reminder, and it says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And now Jesus record, or John records Jesus' prayer. And while our text this morning is the final seven verses of John 17, we're really going to kind of explore the whole chapter. Jesus' prayer for uh, his people, his disciples, are verses 6 through 19. And then the last portion is a prayer for unity. And uh, chapter 17 has three distinct divisions. Uh, prayer for glorification, his prayer for his disciples, and then his prayer for the unity of all believers. So John 17, verses 20 to 26. And I don't know what your custom is here, but why don't we stand for the reading? Then if you do have a tendency to sleep in church, I've put it off two or three minutes. John 17, verses 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me, and I have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made, known, <clears throat> made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thank you. you. may be seated. There's a degree of mystery whenever we pray. On, uh, on Sunday morning for years, I would invite people to come to the altar to pray and uh, I felt like it was a positive thing for us to do, and some people love to come to the altar and have that posture of prayer. Uh, but, you know, you never know uh, who's praying what. 
That's something that's between you and God. And um, if you're a farmer, you're praying for it to rain or to stop raining. And the person next to you, uh, they have a picnic planned, and they're definitely praying that it will stop raining. And I would be praying that it would rain because I didn't want to go to the picnic. So I don't know how God does all of that. I know there have been times uh, when I was praying probably something that uh, my wife was praying another direction, and, uh, and I, I always assumed God would listen to her. You can't ever be sure what the person next to you is asking of God, or for that matter, just might be saying, Lord, reveal to me what it is you want me to, to know during this time. John shares what Jesus prayed in this instance But there are many instances where Jesus prayed, and we don't know what he was praying. When the disciples fell asleep on the Mount of Olives, we have a few words of what he said, but what did he say the whole time that they were sleeping? We don't know what he was praying. We do know that he prayed this. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly... How much more earnestly can you get? More earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. No one knows what else he prayed through the night. It went on so long that the disciples did fall asleep. Have you ever entered into a conversation, and you're deep into that conversation with someone, and you look over and somebody else has fallen asleep? wasn't quite as interesting for them as it was for you. And sometimes, especially you know, around Thanksgiving time, and there's been me eating a lot, and you're into a deep conversation with your uncle that you still can't straighten out no matter how hard you've tried. You've, you've shown him you know, what's right and what's wrong. He just doesn't get it. And you're really into this conversation. You look over there, and everybody else is asleep, <laughs> totally wishing that, that, they, that they hadn't been there in the first place. Well, I know there have been times when I prayed something that someone else was praying in in another direction. Prayers lead to intimacy with God the Father. John was not writing uh, all of this down as it happened, so we have to work, uh, trust the work of the Holy Spirit in refreshing John's memory when he did start to write things down. And imagine how many times John had repeated these stories to various people before he actually put it all down. The date given for John's gospel varies, but certainly was years and years after the resurrection of Jesus. Know this, the more time we spend in prayer, the more intimacy with God we can experience. The more time we spend, and I'm not talking about just, okay, I have a a regimented thing. I'm talking about life. When we're doing life and asking God, talk to me today. Help me with this. Okay, I I had a prayer time, but now, Lord, I'm in the car, and I'm headed towards something. I don't know how it's going to go. What do you think? Give me some insight. Being in constant communication with the Heavenly Father. John captures the intimacy of the father-son relationship, and John plays with the structure of the prayer to make it possible for others to, to pray it as well. And the prayer, as John relates it, draws together everything that the gospel story has been about up to this point. When you make 
this prayer your own. When you enter into this chapter and see what happens, you're being invited to come into the heart of that intimate relationship that Jesus has with his Father. It's as if you're sitting between two people participating by listening. And sometimes when I'm with certain people, I think my role here is to listen. I don't, I don't, I'm not on whatever plane they're on talking about what they're talking about right now. I just need to listen and learn. And that's exactly what this prayer does as believers for us to see how Jesus is talking to his Father. Jesus' prayer begins with a request to be glorified. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And Jesus is celebrating that. His work is done. He is still facing crucifixion, but the work and the deeds the Father has given him to do with his disciples, they're finished. And he has laid before the disciples all that they need to know. And friends, most of the time we don't need to know more. We need to do what we know to do. And Jesus came to that point. Now he makes a request. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In the Jewish tradition, uh, the Messiah, the Son of Man, uh, was to really attain some some wonderful things. Uh, An example of Psalm 72. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. The Messiah. The Messiah was to have universal dominion. And for the believer, eternal life was, had already begun. When the Messiah takes his seat next to the Father, those who have put their trust in Jesus have begun this experience. Eternal life is not just an after-death experience. Jesus has brought us that life now. And in, in your Bibles, in John chapter 5, verse 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. And I'm afraid too often we've thought, well, you know, eternal life, that's what you get after you die. Eternal life starts when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Eternal life has begun for you. So as we look at the second section of this prayer, Jesus identifies the, uh, uh, and prays for his followers. And his followers are uh, distinct from the world. In John 15, 3, it says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Jesus' followers are, are new. Uh, they're cleansed because Jesus called and they answered. And we still have this human ancestry to deal with. We, uh, we still have homes and families uh, that we're responsible to and that we, people we live with and, and, and we have responsibilities to, to show them the love of Christ. We still possess physical bodies that will decay and die, but we have been called out from the world that has rebelled against God or against the light. And the world is made up of those who choose darkness instead of light. So Jesus is concerned that we, his followers, will not be pulled back into some dark place, the world. And during his public ministry, Jesus was there to look after his disciples. He, he taught them and he led them the, the way that a shepherd would lead his sheep. And sometimes the shepherd has to use the shepherd's hook for sheep. Uh, we all 
have had those sheep experiences. Now he's going away and he is entrusting them back to the Father. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, I want to be careful here, because not everybody has the same family background, but I'm assuming that just about everybody here came from a family of some type. Okay. Some of you have had the blessing of having children. Would you just wave at me if you've had children? Because I want to be sure you're, you're connecting with me here. Uh, for you, by the way, we call that parents, your parents. And uh, for you parents, you probably remember uh, those first-time events when uh, you brought that baby home, and uh, for whatever reason, automatically, especially if it's your first child, automatically, mom instinctively kind of knows everything that baby needs and wants and even anticipates ahead of time and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so now she's been... At home with that baby for who knows how long and has not had a break. And it's time for her to go out and see the outside world. And she looks at her husband and says, can I trust you even for 10 minutes? (laughs) And uh, and usually answers, no, I'll call my mother. (laughs) And as much as your mother never let you die, handing that three-week-old, two-week-old, four-day-old baby over while you go maybe even take a nap and think, how much instruction does she need? Hadn't done this for a long time. Can I really trust her? Now, after you've had two or three kids, uh, you just go out on the street and grab somebody and they watch them (laughs) while you're gone. But, boy, that first one, that first one, to let go and trust somebody else, you don't just get somebody off the street. In fact, you vet that person very well. You, you make some calls, make sure, can I trust my mother on this? <laughs> or how about at the 12-week point when you say, hey, you know what? They called, and I'm supposed to go back to work tomorrow, and uh, I've got the daycare all set up. The problem is I actually have to hand them the baby, and I'm not sure I can do that. It's hard to just trust someone else to take care of that the way you would take care of that. That, that child. So Jesus is expressing the love that he feels for his disciples and the expectation that they will not be left on their own. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. The word for holy is also translated set apart. And in our text, the word holy or the term holiness carries with a ton of baggage for all of us. And I've read a lot of books uh, concerning the, this whole concept of holiness and the concept of being sanctified. But just like the word love, when I say holy or holiness, everybody here has a unique understanding of, of what that word is going to mean. Uh, I love my wife. I love my truck. I love my kids. But not all alike and not all the same. I, uh, I take my truck to the, to the car wash. I take my wife on vacation. I took my kids to college. Don't, don't take your kids to the car wash. <laughs> don't leave your wife at college and forget to go back and get her. Because we, we automatically know, oh, no, okay, that's different. That's, 
Love is different in each one of those situations. And we are set apart to be what He has called us to be. We are to be set apart. We are to show Christ's love. So as Jesus is set apart, He prays that His followers will be holy as well. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And in the context of first century Judaism, holiness uh, called to mind the temple. And it was considered the, the holy place and the place where God lived. And the innermost shrine was called the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go there once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And the high priest had to go through special ceremonies of consecration to be set apart so that he could enter into the presence of a holy God. With that backdrop, Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified or set apart. Jesus wants his followers to be a holy people in the best and fullest sense of the word. So Jesus is entrusting his followers back to the care of his Father, who will then send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. The disciples will now enter into a relationship uh, that we experience. Jesus has taught them everything that they need for where they are right now. Now, I don't know that I know everything I need to know for later, but the Lord provides for us as we need. And he has everything you need for where you are right now. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus prays for the unity of all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. And Jesus is talking not just about his immediate disciples. He's talking about you and me. He, he was talking about those who would come after as well. When you and I share the message of the gospel, we are doing exactly what Jesus is praying to the Father. That lives will be changed because of our testimonies. And not just the words we say, but the lives that we're living. So who first told you about Jesus? And I'm going to tell you, don't, don't tell me your parents, because I really hope they told you, but I'm talking about that first significant person outside of the realm of your parents who was instrumental in you giving your heart to Jesus Christ. And I'd like you to write that in your, in your folder there, or write it on your wrist, or put it into your phone. Who is that person? Because if we don't visualize who it was for us, we may not visualize what we're supposed to be doing for somebody else. So who was that person? I don't see anybody writing. I don't see anybody moving. This isn't going well. Uh, I need you to write that down. Who was that person? Because my person was Rex Connor. I was, you know, eight or nine years old, and Rex Connor thought, man, that boy needs help. So he would take me fishing and, and let me drive his car. He was a state patrolman. He could do that. He let me sit inside and drive the car. And, I mean, all kinds of neat stuff. Rex Connor was instrumental. And one day he had enough influence with me that he looked at me and he said, Jack, what do you plan on doing for the Lord the rest of your life? And uh, I didn't have a very good answer, but later I did. Rex Connor was the guy for me. So who first told you? Maybe that'll give you some insight in what you can be 
for somebody else. Well, if that first person is still alive, send them a thank you note. Make it real in your life. Send them a thank you note. Express to them what they meant in your, in your life. Now, the church is never more than one generation away from extinction. And all it would take is for one generation to decide, well, I'm just going to lay down and quit. I'm not going to teach my children or share with my neighbor or fund missionaries. Every generation has its responsibility to share the message of Jesus. A few years ago, uh, about three years ago, three and a half, four, somewhere back there, I got a, a letter from the college where I graduated, uh, Olivet West, uh, and uh, they said, we're going to take an alumni cruise, and why don't you just sign on and go on this alumni cruise? And so we called another couple, and we decided we would do that. And uh, we're on this uh, the ship that they chose, and, and uh, there, there was some other alumni. And, uh, you know, once you get on those uh, ships, then uh, you go various places. And they tell you want to do another little outing here, and you get on a smaller boat and go somewhere else. And so we uh, w- took this little uh, cruise out in uh, Haiti, uh, Labadi, Haiti, and so we're, you know, seeing all this stuff, and I start talking to this gentleman uh, that's on the, I've never met him before, he's just on the boat there, and it turns out he's a lawyer, and I said, oh, well, tell me about that, and he said, well, he said, the reason uh, uh, we're interested in this uh, cruise down here in, in Haiti that we're to get off is uh, our daughter came on a missions trip down here. She was part of a group that came down, and she's doing missionary work down here. I said, oh, that's great, and we had further conversation. And uh, the colorful language gave me the impression that she was way more involved in the church than her daddy. (laughs) And uh, I always like to hold off on telling them what I do. I get a more honest conversation if I wait to the very end. And they finally they run out of stuff to talk. What do you do? I said, I'm a minister. I'm totally offended by everything you just said. Actually, just, oh no, I'm a minister. Uh, we're down here on a cruise and, and had a good time. Well, this man wasn't down there on a mission, but he underwrote one. I always think it's interesting how God uses people that don't even know they're being used. His money helps support the mission of the church, whether he wanted to be there or not. God used him to underwrite his daughter's mission. So no matter where you go in the world, the name of Jesus is known. Kings and queens and presidents and and generals and artists will soon be forgotten, except for where they may be written in some history books. But the name of Jesus is known around the world, generation to generation. And you and I are part of that thread that keeps that message alive. You and I are a part of the thread that is the result of the prayer that Jesus prayed. So Christian unity is based upon the unity of the Father and the Son. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So Jesus is praying that we may be one holy and universal body. He is praying that the teaching of the apostles will cross every boundary, be translated into every language, survive every war, and be life-changing in every generation. He's praying that we will be united in the issues that really matter. And friends, not every issue 
matters. But we are to find unity. Well, when you think about the things that divide denominations, it usually boils down to how we handle the sacraments or how we define the relationship between God and someone who isn't living up to our standards. Not many denominations disagree on the Trinity or the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And if we agree on the major points, it's a shame we make such a big negative deal out of the other stuff. Because not everything is as important as everything else. Uh, at the N.T. Wright seminar last week, and if you don't know that, uh, you know, there's God and then N.T. Wright. And, and we're not sure he's not smarter than God, but we think God is still smarter than him. Uh, but and we all came in to hear him. They came from all over to hear him, and he is a wonderful theologian. He's an Anglican and uh, great to listen to. And I was talking to somebody. I said, I didn't even try to take notes. I just listened and thought, I'll buy the book. And someone else said, you know, listening to him was like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It was just so much stuff coming at you all the time. And uh, so during one of his lectures, he was poking fun at the Methodist church because he's an Anglican, and the Methodists have a history of building giant churches right across from Anglican churches. And so he was poking fun at that, and it just so happened I was hosting a couple from Indiana, and he pastors the Lake Lake. View Lakeside Lakeville, there it goes. Lakeville Church, Methodist Church over in, in Lakeville. And he's married to a, an ONU grad, and everybody ought to be married to an ONU grad. And uh, so we've got there, we're hosting them, and uh, boy, I mean, as soon as, as NT made fun of the Methodist, I had some fun. <laughs> How about that, Mr. Methodist? And uh, he quickly held up his name thing. And uh, I looked at it. And it said, uh, it said his name, and it said he was the pastor of the Lakeville Church of the Nazarene. So I guess for the day, he wasn't even Methodist. <laughs> but really what I did, it, it, it proved the, that the infallibility of Nazarene name tags isn't what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> and I would like to say, well, everybody can take that kind of kidding around between churches. But you know what? We haven't always been good at that. We haven't always been good at saying, hey, we all serve Jesus. Let's love our brother just because he goes to a different church. And, and we have a responsibility to represent Jesus well in our interactions with, with folks like that. There is joy in fellowship based on a first love of Jesus. And when you find somebody else who loves Jesus, and it doesn't matter where they're loving him, that's a great fellowship. You don't want to miss it. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I believe Jesus is more concerned with how I show love to other believers in spite of our different theological understanding than he is that I am perfectly correct in my personal theology. What are the chances that I'm right about everything? Not very good. How can brilliant minds come together and disagree? We can't all be totally right. We think we're right, that's, the way, that's why we're going the direction we are. But to think that we haven't missed it anywhere? Well, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
Every four years we have a general assembly, and at the last general assembly uh, that you get, you get elected from your district as a pastor, as a layperson, or your college president, or DSs get automatically, they don't even have to be elected, they just get to go. And they have a vote. And at the last one, uh, I was sitting there as a delegate, and I thought, man, somebody from uh, Kanky First Church doesn't trust the delegation very well because I was sandwiched between Anna and Simone. And I thought... <laughs> They're just watching to see how I vote. That's what they did. They sent them down to keep track of me. And, uh, and you know, we come there, and we have a, a Bible and an opinion, and we're ready to quote the scholar that agrees with our viewpoint. And then we quickly realize that there are delegates there from all the way around the world, totally different cultures, that have some interesting viewpoints that we need to acknowledge. It's not all about my vote. Well, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And I've kind of rewritten this. You know, after a while you start rewriting your Bible. <laughs> I pray also for those who believe in me through their message as they understand it. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are one in me and I am one in you. May those delegates also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. How we treat each other in a delegation like that says more about our relationship with Jesus than how we vote. And then this prayer for our local church. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of those believers at K1 may be one. Father, just as you are one in me and I'm one in you, may those first church Nazarenes also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Folks, the world is watching us. And they want to see if we really do love each other. What standards do you think the world are, is going to use to measure our authenticity? I believe they're going to uh, watch and see how we respond to people in my own congregation. And how I respond to other churches similar to mine and how I respond to other denominations and how I respond to the Catholic Church and how I respond to the people of other religions and how I respond to other races of people and prisoners and the poor. And God has a sense of humor because I was going to talk about, you know, how you're supposed to, you know, I even love Presbyterians and I looked down there's Larry Mosliner sitting at church. <laughs> he and I served in the same community for years. He's a Presbyterian pastor and here I am and and Larry, I'd like to apologize for all the bad things I, I might have done. Because, you know, you never know until you talk later. I believe it all starts with John chapter, 34, or chapter 13, verse 34. How will the world know that we're different, set apart, and motivated by the Creator God? A new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And who is the one another in my world? Well, there's a whole list of things I just threw at you really quick. We must not be divided by race, gender, class, nationality, or customs. We must be lovers of others. Okay, so what comes first? The love or the unity? And the answer is yes. Uh, you know, we brought uh, our first child home from the hospital. She was born in Indianapolis. We brought her home from the hospital. And I never once remember Leanne and I having a conversation. Shall we accept her into the family first or love her first? 
It all just kind of happened. So what comes first, love or unity? It all just arrives at the same time. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me, testifying that Jesus is sovereign of the universe isn't arrogant. It is a commitment to serve others the way Jesus served others before us. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that your love for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, I mentioned that three or four years ago, uh, Leanne and I went on that cruise and somebody else, you know, was in charge of booking the whole thing. We just signed on and we found out uh, that we were going to be on Harmony of the Sea, which for that summer or that fall, whatever it was, that was the largest cruise ship in the world. And I'm, Leanne, I'm ready to see this cruise ship. It's the largest cruise ship in the world. Wow. And so we got there and, and took the car shuttle over to the place, and everybody was talking about the boats they were going to be on. And when we driving down the dock with this load of people we didn't know, and they saw our boat, they were like, wow, is anybody on that boat? I said, yeah, we're on that boat. <laughs> That's our boat. Largest harmony of the sea, largest cruise ship in the world. And so we got on there, and, and, and they showed us, you know, the direction to our cabin and everything. And on the way, uh, we're seeing these glass elevators and what they call Central Park. And they've got a water slide. They've got all this stuff. And we'd no sooner got into our, uh, our cabin there. And uh, we're planning on going out and exploring everything. And this voice came over the intercom. This is the captain speaking. You will now go to your designated area for the safety seminar. And I looked at Leanne, I said, who does he think he is? <laughs> no, you see, I've done my homework. He's the guy that's going to get us out to sea safely and bring us back safely. And I don't know how good you swim, but I'm kind of counting on him. And he just said... I need to go to my designated area. There will be safety instructions where they show you where to jump over the side of the boat with your little life jacket on. I thought, I don't want to miss that. And I also don't want anyone saying, you know what? There's 5,000 passengers on this boat and 4,998 of them are where they're supposed to be. Has anybody seen the McCormick's? <laughs> you see, he's the captain. And God is sovereign. And Jesus, his son, is our savior. And when he's praying for his disciples, he's saying, I want you to love one another, and I want you to have unity. When we truly see Jesus for who he is, we won't be fearful of sharing that good news with a lost world that will not be prepared for the inevitable unless they hear the truth that Jesus Christ is sovereign and they can have an authentic relationship with him. And because he's sovereign, our world, in our world, we are committed to serve others the way he's served us. So I just want to close today with a prayer, but first one little commercial. Uh, after serving for 33 years and not wanting to be in the way of a new pastor, I needed a place to serve. And guess what I found? 
we didn't have a designated greeter on Sunday mornings in a children's center. And you know what else we didn't have? We didn't have enough nursery workers on Wednesday night. And so my job now is I'm the greeter on the children's end, and whenever my name comes up on the schedule, I work the nursery on Wednesday nights. And I say that because a bunch of you are younger than me. <laughs> and you're thinking, you know, I'm in this big church. I don't really get the attention that I need. You show up to be a nursery worker, you'll get more attention than you ever dreamed. <laughs> and why? Because it's another way to show people how much you love Jesus. Let's stand for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we came this morning to be blessed by you and to bless others around us with our worship. We've sung the songs, we've prayed the prayers, we've heard the message. And Lord, the truth of your prayer for your disciples is right there for us. It's really not that difficult to understand. We may have made it harder. But Lord, help us to love one another. And as the world looks at, at various Nazarene churches, may they know that those pastors are treating each other with love and respect and kindness and grace. And may we show from the very, from the very onset that we love each other. And may we love the, the Catholics and the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians. And Lord, may we love those that are part of religions that we don't understand, we don't agree with, and they don't call you Lord, but, but they're real people that have souls. And we never love them through hate. Lord, help us to love them. And Father, I pray as we go out this week, we won't go out to change the whole world. We'll go out to change our next-door neighbor or the person in the cubicle where we work or the most difficult child in our class when we're teaching. Lord Jesus, may your Holy Spirit move us to go out and change our world one person at a time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.